Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. I'm Jawad as always. Thank you for joining me. Merry Christmas all, happy holidays, um, whatever you guys are doing at this time of year to, to celebrate um, whatever it is that you want to celebrate. Um, hope you're enjoying yourselves. It's um, a busy time of year as you'd expect. Um, just a lot of crazy stuff happening and of course, you know, looking back at the year that was as well as we head closer to the new year. So um, finally, I'm doing the Formula One season review. Um, be happy Christmas listening <laughs> for those who get to listen to it on Christmas Day. Um, taking a bit of time, obviously, been a busy last few weeks and I was hoping to get these done a bit sooner, but um, yeah, just I guess we've had to delay it all the way back to, to now, so we'll get straight into it without further ado. Um, I hope you guys have had a, a great day so far. Um, hopefully there's a lot of Formula One themed presents or motorsport themed presents being opened all over the world. Um, <laughs> I know that I always get excited with that sort of thing, you know, got some, got some cool stuff myself, uh, treating myself this year and, uh, some, uh, records as well, which was exciting band called Architects that I've been really getting into this year, saw them live too. So if you guys like a bit of metalcore, um, if that's your scene, then definitely check them out there. They've got a pretty unique sound, so... Anyway, yeah, let's get straight into it anyway for the Formula One side of things. Now, as I said ages ago, that there'd be two separate season review specials this year. One, I'd focus solely on supercars, which will come afterwards. And one, of course, focusing on Formula One. (coughs) And it's been a very interesting year, you know. When you look at it on paper, it looks like it was a pretty boring year, a lot of people will agree with that too, which, you know, I can understand, but there were some pretty good races in there too, you know, it's a shame that this is a 21 race championship that, you know, at the end you've got to crown a champion and the champion ended up being Lewis Hamilton winning his sixth title, you know, becoming only the second driver in the sports history to achieve six, but, you know, when you look at Max Verstappen, the year that he had, Charles Leclerc as well, his first year for Ferrari, emerging out of that, then, you know, you look towards the midfield, that battle between Renault and McLaren, and McLaren finally back on the rise, you know, to to perhaps, you know, challenging for podiums and whatever next year, you know, it's been, it's been quite a great year when you look at it across the board, unless you're the Formula One um, director who does the, the camera work and doesn't seem to want to record Carlos Sainz, which was a bit of a shame. I'll get to that a bit later. But yeah, it's just, you know, I was watching a few individual races over the last few weeks um, on replay. And, you know, when you look at races like Germany, um, Austria, I got to watch, they were fantastic. Even Monaco was, um, Monaco was okay. There was a bit of tension in that one. Um, And obviously Max Verstappen ended up with a penalty at the end of the race. But it was, I guess, in the script that we would see Lewis Hamilton win from pole position. Of course, it was a sad weekend um, with the news that Nicky Lauda had passed away uh, before then. It's been a it's been a sad year for loss as well with Formula One. You know, when you look at the start of the year, the we're all in the at the Australian Grand Prix, and then the news broke that the race director Charlie Whiting, who you know at the time was in town, had passed away. This was on you know 
um, just before the weekend started while we're all trackside. So, you know, that was a, a somber way to get the, the season off, um, you know, to get the season started. Charlie, of course, you know, a pillar of Formula One for, for many, many years and is such a... Um, a key person when it came to the evolution of the sport, when you look at the safety and the rules as well, you know, and, you know, he was really a friend of the drivers too, you know, the voice um, that the drivers needed in certain instances. So his loss was very seismic when you look at that. Then Nicky Lauder, of course, passing away. Um, we didn't get to see him at the track this year, um, ongoing health issues for him. And of course, how he was such a key component of Mercedes and their, you know, domination that they've had for the better part of the decade. Yes, the better part of the decade because, you know, they've won six championships in a row now, which is phenomenal when you look at it, you know, six years. We haven't seen domination like that in Formula One for, you know, I don't think ever, um, especially within the space of a decade. And then, of course, <clears throat> the Belgian Grand Prix and the shock loss, um, the crash that we had in the Formula 2 race and the loss of Antoine Huber, who, you know, this year was on the rise. He was um, destined for great things and then unfortunately taken away so soon. So, yeah, you know, that's in that sense, it's been a bit of a dark year. But then, you know, racing, you know, we've had great racing. We've had awesome battles, you know, Leclerc, Verstappen, you know, Hamilton as well, not, you know, really having it his own way. You could say it's been one where Mercedes have been on the back foot on numerous occasions, but just because of their execution as a team is how they've been able to win and win for a long time, you know. I mean, you look back at the last couple of years when Ferrari have had the faster car, they've still not been able to execute, whether it's driver error or even team error, and even at times this year where they should have won races, Ferrari, they didn't because their execution was pretty terrible. So I'll go over that um, shortly as well in a bit more detail. But, you know, Mercedes, they've proved that it's not only just about having the fastest car, it's also just being the best team in general, you know, strategists, the, the pit crew as well, and then just the individual ability of the driver, which uh, makes all the difference too. So they've got everything together and that's why you know you've got to praise them whether we sit here and collectively groan that Mercedes have won another championship you've got to also sit and say that's the hallmark of a great team that the fact that they've got all these things together and are able to execute in that way you know it doesn't just happen off the back of one person it's it's a whole team, it's a whole collective effort and you know Formula One is a team sport after all but then you know the driver does you know, get a lot of credit for what happens too. So, you know, Mercedes, clearly it was a team effort for this year. So as usual, I've broken it down into a couple of different areas um, for the review. We're going to talk about the championship first up and then best of the rest because that's its own championship basically. Also looking at the the class of rookies this year too because we had some awesome rookies that stood out all year across the field and of course you know looking at some of the off-track stuff as well and giving you some final thoughts on Formula One in 2019 so without further ado Lewis Hamilton 87 points he won the championship by in the end you know he had it all wrapped up at the US Grand Prix 
which he's done previously as well back in 2015. And sixth title for Hamilton, you know, 11 wins in the process as well. Mercedes sixth Constructors' Championship too, thanks to, you know, Valtteri Bottas's efforts, his best season that he's had, Bottas. And I guess we can <clears throat> go right back to the start of the year in the pre-season where there was the hope that Ferrari would be able to challenge Mercedes. They were fastest throughout pre-season testing. You know, they were... The people they were the team that looked like the team to beat. You know, this could be the year for them until the final day of testing when Mercedes, you know, ripped off the sandbags and um, came out and set some pretty impressive times and some an impressive uh, race pace they showed too. And then, of course, when we got to the Australian Grand Prix back in March, there was no Ferrari. It was they were yeah they were like <laughs> so far behind. I think they finished you know twenty seconds behind the third-placed car, which was a Red Bull in this instance. So we got to Australia, Valtteri Bottas, Bottas 2.0, Mr. Robottas, you know, with his porridge. That became a meme throughout the whole <laughs> throughout the whole season. Um, yeah, Bottas won the race. He was pretty dominant, one of his greatest wins, you could say. And he even said recently that it felt like it was a different driver driving in the car that day when he won the Australian Grand Prix. So... Good job for him, and there was the hope that he would be able to challenge for the championship um, from there. That you know, if we couldn't have Ferrari, <clears throat> Ferrari and Mercedes challenging each other this year, then maybe it would be another inter-team battle like it was with um, Hamilton and Rosberg. But Bottas, unfortunately, he fell out of touch from the Canadian Grand Prix onwards. You know, he was able to win two races in the first four. He won again in Baku. Um, having that redemption there from the year before where he was in that position to win but had the tyre blowout right at the end of the race. So that was good for Bottas and then he was on the podium for a couple of more races. But yeah, really after the Canadian Grand Prix, it sort of fell um, behind. He was unlucky at the Silverstone Grand Prix as well, beating Lewis Hamilton on track. They had this really good battle at the start of the race, wheel to wheel, but then of course... The safety car came out at the wrong time and um, that ultimately cost Valtteri in terms of track position because Hamilton was able to pit, um, get a free pit stop and come back out in the lead of the race. So, you know, if if that had been different, that result, then perhaps um, perhaps it could be a bit different um, leading into the f- next half of the season. So that's Bottas, a little bit of him. Lewis, you know... He's there to pick up the pieces whenever um, whenever something goes wrong. You know, this has been one of his most consistent seasons, I think. He's scored points in every race as well for the second time in his career. I think the second driver to do so after himself back in 2015. So that's a really, really impressive stat for him to pick up. But um, going back to the first race, I said before, uh, Red Bull uh, were able to pick up the podium third with Max Verstappen and it was a significant moment because it was the first race with Red Bull together with Honda the new engine partner so pre-season and of course last year it was um, talked about a lot that Red Bull would be switching to Honda what would this yield and then they immediately vindicated the partnership or immediately vindicated the switch from Renault where you know Throughout the hybrid turbo era, Renault have really underwhelmed as far as delivering a competitive power unit. Red Bull have been quite vocal about that. And then, of course, they just needed that change and went over to Honda. So 
it feels like an eon ago that we were talking about it because you know it just seems like now it's it's a natural thing the red bull honda partnership you know yielding three wins this year i mean helmet marco was being a bit ambitious when he said he expects five wins this year from them but um Three is still a fair effort, and, you know, handful of podiums. Max was able to pick up his first career pole position as well. He scored two poles, I think, this year, and um, he, he reckons it was three because um, he got the penalty in Mexico for impeding, so he had that pole taken away. But immediately from the first race, that partnership between Red Bull and Honda vindicated, and, you know, from there we got to see some, some good stuff from Max this year. And good on Honda as well because, you know, they've, obviously been through the ringer with McLaren the last few years um, and then to stay in F1 you know they get the lifeline with the Red Bull family last year they supplied Toro Rosso they needed that year off the radar to, to be able to develop um, that power unit and then this year they've been very competitive um, and even in qualifying you know to, to get a pole position beat the likes of Ferrari who have been really good in qualifying this year a bit about that later, <laughs> um, some conspiracy theories and whatnot, and Mercedes as well, who haven't been the benchmark qualifiers this year, actually, when you look at it, you know, um, Charles Leclerc took six pole positions, I think, this year, or seven pole positions, Lewis didn't have a pole when he was on pole in Abu Dhabi, he hadn't had a pole since the German Grand Prix, so, you know, that's half a season where Lewis Hamilton was not on pole, and then Bottas took quite a few poles as well, so... Not the year you'd expect from those guys, Mercedes, as far as pole positions are concerned. But then again, Bottas, I think, took a few, which was good for him as well. So, yeah, dominant 1-2 from Mercedes in Australia, then Red Bull with Verstappen on the podium in third. And first podium that Red Bull have had in the hybrid turbo era, um, which was interesting for me to for to find out, or back when we had the race... Um, I pointed it out because, of course, 2014, when um, Daniel Ricciardo finished third on track, he got the penalty for the fuel flow irregularity. So that was unfortunately stripped, and you know we could have had the Aussie on the podium um, <laughs> at his home race. And until then, until now, that's still not been realised. So it was Mercedes one, two, Red Bull third, but then we get to Bahrain where Ferrari suddenly are on song. You know we had Charles Leclerc emerge. Um, he was leading the race for much of it until a mechanical failure occurred and that was heartbreaking, you know, that was kind of the first, um, first many, um, unlucky moments for Leclerc during, throughout that first half of the season where, you know, we were saying, God, he's, he is about to win a race, he is in a position to win a race, but then something happens, you know, you look at Austria as well where, he led most of the race, but we had Max Verstappen come back and um, take the win from him. So, you know, Leclerc, a lot of uh, bad luck for him at the start of the year. Had the mechanical failure. He still finished on the podium, so it was his first podium in Formula 1, only in his second race for Ferrari. But, you know, you could sense that the hunger was there for the win. So Lewis Hamilton ended up taking the win there, his first then he won again in China. Um, it's hard to remember, actually, or, you know, when you're reminded that China this year was the 1,000th Formula 1 Grand Prix, you're like, well, it wasn't a very impressive race, to be honest. It was a pretty boring one. Mercedes won two finish, Lewis won, Bottas second, and then Sebastian Vettel, his first podium of the year um, in third. So, uh, you know, 
bit pretty boring, you got to say, that one. And now that we've mentioned Sebastian Vettel, it's important to point out as well that his year has just been summarised by a, lit- a litany of errors, um, much as his previous seasons were when he was in the championship hunt. You know, this year he... A, has been shown up by his new teammate, the young Leclerc, but then also just has made so many te- um, so many errors. Um, Bahrain was the first one where, you know, he ended up doing what he did last year a couple of times and just spinning by himself. You know, he was fighting wheel-to-wheel with Lewis, but then ended up in a spin that ultimately cost him position. Canada as well, the well-documented controversy that happened in Canada, Vettel on pole, he was going to win the race, but then, um, you know, left Lewis no room on the track when he was rejoining on, um, I think it was the penultimate lap or three laps from the end, um, cut across the grass and almost put Lewis in the wall and he was given a five second penalty for that and then ultimately was stripped of the win and there was a lot of, um, a lot of fallout after that, you know, looking at Vettel in the, um, in Parc Ferme, ended up switching the boards uh, for P1 and P2, put the P1 in front of his, where his car should have been, and um, put P2 in front of Hamilton. Then Silverstone as well, he rear-ended Max Verstappen. Italy, he, um, you know, ended up spinning by himself again at the Ascari chicane, ended up taking out Lance Stroll, who then took out Pierre Gasly, so effectively Vettel's mistake ruined two other drivers' races. I won't talk about Russia because, you know, that was... Um, car failure, you know, that was a car failure, not Vettel's fault, but then, you know, there was controversy in Russia between the two teammates, Vettel and Leclerc, and then Brazil, you know, where both Ferraris took each other out, you know, it was like Red Bull back in 2018 at Baku, so really, you know, if this is going to be, you know, is Vettel going to be a championship contender (laughs) in the future? Probably not, when you look at it, you know, we were calling calling for his head at several times this year saying you know he's perhaps past it he should look at retiring you know Leclerc's the future for Ferrari um when you look at it Vettel only won a single race this year so he hasn't really looked as impressive as he has in the past but you know um what to do I mean he's going to be on the grid next year perhaps next year will be it um I personally don't see Vettel being able to challenge for another championship, um, unless, you know, he's in the best car and he can win every race like he did back with Red Bull, but um, with a teammate like Leclerc, I think really Vettel is, um, you know, Vettel's best days are past him and he might just be there as a support role, which I'm sure Vettel himself wouldn't appreciate. I wouldn't just say that it was Seb guilty of making all the mistakes at Ferrari. When you Leclerc as well had a few rookie errors. He crashed in Baku qualifying where he could have been on for pole position. He was fastest throughout the weekend and it could have been another winnable race for him. Um, you know, there's another example of, uh, you know, the other driver also being in amongst the mistakes. So imagine if he had won there, you know, Bahrain, Baku... That's two wins already within the first four races for Leclerc. Then the next opportunity for him was in Austria. Um, also, you know, penalised in Monaco, starting from the back of the grid and then having to fight his way through if he started more to the front of the grid. I'm not saying Leclerc could have been a, in championship contention this year, but he could have certainly won more races. You know, there was more opportunities for him and he certainly seemed to be the more consistent Ferrari driver, but, you know, he still made mistakes too. But, 
In that time, anyway, we had four straight wins from Hamilton between the Spanish Grand Prix and the French Grand Prix. Um, that second quarter of the season was quite boring, you know, just the same result. And the French Grand Prix is when I think everything hit rock bottom. Everyone was like, oh, Formula One's so boring, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just, you know, it was a pretty bad race, actually, France. And next year, it's good that they're going to actually make some alterations to the track. Well, not that, you know, there isn't any shortage of track layouts at Paul Ricard. They're going to make some more adjustments to allow for more exciting racing, some more overtakes, possibly. So hopefully we do avoid a um, repeat of this year that would be awful if we got another race like that anyway but that just showed you you know when the when the rivals are having off days or you know they're not as quick this is when Mercedes capitalized and Lewis Hamilton too so you know Bottas not in contention there but it was Hamilton who came out and stamped his authority and that's where you could say you know it looked ominous at that stage that he would be taking a sixth world championship. But then we go over to the Austrian Grand Prix where, you know, we had Charles Leclerc on pole again, Max Verstappen on the front row with him. We were like, could this be the race that we've wanted all year? You know, it's the two young chargers, Mercedes nowhere to be seen, and we had a bad start from Max. He dropped through the field but Leclerc was able to lead away Lando Norris was impressive in this race I know we're going to talk about him a bit more later but he was racing wheel to wheel with Hamilton in the first couple of laps which was really impressive to see a McLaren and a Mercedes going wheel to wheel and yes McLaren and Mercedes are going to get back together for 2021 as well so that was exciting to hear that um, they're going to they're going to reunite um, as far as their engine partnership is concerned but yeah no bad start for Max but he came back and um, was able to get past Leclerc late in the race and I use the term he uh, mugged Leclerc because of MotoGP thank you very much the MotoGP commentators this year you know getting that um, term mugging or mugged into the lexicon, um, basically any last lap overtake <laughs> this year in MotoGP was described as a mugging, so, you know, I'm going to use that same term here for um, Max mugging Leclerc, only it didn't happen at the final corner like it did um, for the Austrian MotoGP, <laughs> it um, happened at the uh, third corner, so, you know, Leclerc perhaps leaving a bit too much room, left the door open for Max, and as a result got pushed off the track slightly, but, um, you know, that was such a great moment with um, Red Bull and Honda winning their first race together. Honda winning their first race since 2006. You know, it's been a long time between drinks for those guys. And a win is a win. You know, it vindicates your program. It vindicates all your efforts that you, why are we doing this? You know, why did we go through what we did with McLaren for four years or whatever? Um, and a win finally shows that they're going to they're going in the right way for the future, so good on them for doing that, Leclerc missing out again, then, you know, he came out after the race and said, oh, I'm going to be a bit more aggressive when it comes to fighting Max, because if the stewards are going to see that as being, you know, totally fine, then, you know, I'm going to take matters into my own hands and fight him a little bit more aggressively, so we saw that at Silverstone the next race, great duel between those two, and really, this is what everyone wanted to see, you know, these two guys are future world champions, you know, world champions in waiting, and to see them go wheel to wheel like that, we probably will see more of that in the future, you know, past, you know, when Lewis Hamilton 
retires or even if he's still on the grid, but these two are in a better position to fight for the championship, you know, that's what everyone wants to see. So great, uh, great battle there, great battle in Austria. Not so great um, in Japan where Leclerc took out Max at turn one, ended up getting the penalty. So bit of a, a fizzer of a race for Honda there, um, their home race, expecting the Suzuka special, but they didn't get it because they were taken out by a Ferrari um, on the first uh, on the first lap, so Leclerc obviously took the penalty for that as well, but um, disappointing for Honda and for Red Bull not to get a good result at their home race. After Silverstone then, we had probably the race of the year, or one of the races of the decade, as some people are also dubbing it, the very insane German Grand Prix, which, as aptly described by Danny Kvyat, was a horror movie with a bit of black comedy. I I really like that, actually. Um, That's pretty much how you can sum up the German Grand Prix. Uh, Mercedes, they were celebrating um, a key milestone. They had some special liveries on their cars as well. But you could say the liveries perhaps cursed them because it was an awful race for them. <laughs> um, you know, both well, it was Hamilton's pole position that race, but um, ended up, uh, you know, with a penalty, finishing way down in the order. Bottas crashed out towards the end of the race when he was in contention for a podium, but there was quite a few crashes. You know, Leclerc was in contention. He crashed as well. Um, Mika Hulkenberg possibility for him to take his first podium in F1 that didn't happen too and in the end it was a masterclass from Verstappen in the wet to take his second win of the season Um, second win in uh, three races as well mind you so that was great for him and you know when you look at what also happened with you know Danny Kvyat finishing on the podium for Toro Rosso that was such a an epic moment Sebastian Vettel on the podium too from starting from the rear of the grid I guess it's no redemption story for what happened last year where he crashed, you know, and effectively lost the championship. It was still good to see, I guess, for the German crowd, um, him back on the podium. So, And that was also the final German Grand Prix we're going to see for some time as well. It's not on the calendar next year or the year after. Who knows what's going to happen? But it was a good way to to see off uh, Hockenheim and the German Grand Prix. Much like Valencia, I think, back in 2012 when... We always used to complain it's such a boring race. Not that Hockenheim has been boring. It's been it's been great, but they just don't have the funding to continue having a German Grand Prix. So that's that. Hungary, another exciting finish to that one. Verstappen leading the race for much of the time, um, but then Lewis not really having much faith in his uh, strategists complains over the radio why he's on a two-stop strategy, but in the end that was the strategy to hunt down and beat Verstappen. So... You know, we started after the French Grand Prix getting a few exciting races, uh, even though we knew that Hamilton had this mighty lead in the championship and in the second half of the year that um, it was all up to Bottas to to try and close it down or we'd have to rely on a few DNFs or some zero-point scoring for, for Hamilton to to not be able to win this championship. And even in Germany, when he had a penalty and... Had an awful race. I think he still finished ninth or something. Um, let me double check that. Yeah, he he finished ninth. So that's why he was able to score points all year, you know, in every single race. And ninth was his worst finish. So that is incredible when you look at um, when you look at the season that Hamilton's had. 
And I think, you know, for the next half of the season, he kind of took a bit of a back seat when you look at um, his results. You know, he's still finishing on the podium. He was still able to win um, a couple of races before we got to that sixth title in um, in Texas. But um, this is where we had, you know, Leclerc emerge at the Belgian Grand Prix. Um, second half of the season was more exciting as a result of it because we had Leclerc come out and win in Belgium and in Monza as well. Special victory in Monza, of course. First Ferrari driver to win in Monza since Fernando Alonso back in 2010. And how about that as well, that... Um, in his uh, same as Alonso, his first year with Ferrari, he wins at Monza. Leclerc as well, his first year with Ferrari, he wins at Monza. So special, and of course as well in Belgium, um, Leclerc the win was a lot more poignant because of the loss of Hubert, who Hubert, who was you know of course one of Leclerc's closest friends. Um, it's so sad that a driver, a young driver such as Leclerc, is driving with so much um, you know so much emotion as well built up because of, you know, people that he's lost in his life who have been quite important to his racing career. You know, his father, of course, Jules Bianchi, and now Antoine Hubert, who was a great friend of Leclerc too. And, you know, all the French drivers, you know, Pierre Gasly as well, was quite emotional. Um, everyone was emotional that weekend in Belgium. It just really... Um, it really hit home that, you know, we had uh, such a terrible loss again, you know, in the Formula One paddock. But yeah, we also had, um, speaking of Pierre Gasly, we had a bit of a swap over as well mid-season heading into the Belgian Grand Prix. And that was um, Pierre Gasly uh, swapped out from Red Bull and sent back to Toro Rosso and Alexander Albon brought in. You know, Gasly just uncomfortable all year, you could say, in the Red Bull car, not really anywhere near his teammate Verstappen, who at this point had won two races, had been on pole position, handful of podiums as well. Um, and I think the best that Gasly was able to manage in that time was a fourth in the German Grand Prix, or sorry, at the um, British Grand Prix. So, you know, I guess for his own confidence and is also just to sort of protect him a little bit, you know, send him back to the Toro Rosso in which, you know, in the second half of the year, he he really came into a stride and did a lot better. You could say he looked more at home. And then, of course, the podium in Brazil, you know, you can't go past that. So two Toro Rosso podiums in one season, which was quite great. But, you know, we'll talk more about Toro Rosso when we do the best of the rest bit. So, you know, bringing Albon into the car was Immediately vindicated, you could say, you know, vindicating Red Bull. There's a lot of that in this uh, in this season, you could say. He went on an incredible run of scoring points. Um, Belgian Grand Prix, he was fifth, even though he had a grid penalty for a change of power unit um, and started from the back of the grid. You know, fifth, sixth, sixth, fifth, fourth, uh, career best result in Japan. And then another pair of fifths before, you know, Brazil, there was that heartache um, where he... Missed the podium, having been um, crashed into by Lewis Hamilton towards the end of the race. So, a bit unfortunate for Albon there not to do it. But, you know, he's got the drive secured for next year, which is great. Um, and I'm sure we will see him on the podium quite quickly next year, which will be which will be good too. So, great decision, I guess, by Red Bull because it means Gasly also gets to stay in the fold. He's at Toro Rosso. He's not going to be moving from Toro Rosso anytime soon because of that podium result, but at the same time, it gives him more time to kind of mature and um, settle down a little bit before 
Red Bull ever look at um, promoting him again if that can ever happen. Um, but Albon, you know, he straight away showed that he's a mature driver, was able to settle into the Red Bull and didn't really cause much fuss and didn't really get involved in any incidents either. And he's put in some stonking drives as well. So good on Albon for that. Just a shame about the, the podium, I guess, didn't that didn't come uh, to fruition. Leclerc, though, he had four consecutive poles from Belgium onwards. He was on pole in Singapore, pole on pole in Russia as well. Um, Singapore, what happened? There was a bit of a uh, bit of an ill strategy from Ferrari, which gave the win to his teammate Vettel. You know, Leclerc wasn't happy about that. And then we had this sub narrative throughout the second half of the season about Ferrari and the um, the tension between the two teammates. So that was kind of the first flashpoint there where the win went to Vettel, Leclerc finished second, he wasn't too happy about that. Then the Russian Grand Prix um, was kind of the big talking point, you could say, where before the crash, obviously, in Brazil, but the big talking point in Russia was how there was a pre-race agreement between the two drivers that, um, you know, Vettel would would get the uh, the whole shot or the, the slipstream to the second corner to, in a way, to block the Mercedes threat but then later in the race would hand back the position to Leclerc who was in pole position again that didn't happen when it was supposed to but then Ferrari had a shocking race anyway because Vettel retired and then Leclerc only ended up finishing second oh sorry third and Mercedes ended up getting the one two so they were kind of um uh, what do you call it, they had a bit of um, red on their face at the end of that one, and then of course it looks even worse that, you know, they came out and said that there was a, a, a an agreement in place, pre-race agreement, and that was disobeyed by both the drivers or by Sebastian Vettel, so, you know, that was a bit disappointing, and, you know, that's going to happen when you have two alpha drivers um, in the same team and you're in a position to win races, but at the same time, that just summarises how Ferrari just continue to make mistake after mistake. You know, they can't seem to manage these situations, you know, as good as other teams like Mercedes, for example. And it's going to be a big talking point heading into next year as well as to how both drivers are going to be managed. Um, certainly, Ferrari are in a better and more competitive position to challenge for the championship. Do they put their eggs into the Leclerc basket or are they still going to support Vettel? Because at this stage, I think, you know, Leclerc is the guy that they've got to put their their um, support behind more so than Sebastian because Sebastian has shown that he can make all these mistakes. And you got to say that ultimately he, as well as Ferrari, cost themselves the last two years for the championship. Let's not talk about this year so much because they weren't competitive from the outset, but... 2017, 2018, it was it was all on them, and you could say more so on Sebastian. And I don't have to go over all the mistakes that he made in those two years. You know that's been well documented enough, and I've talked enough about it on this podcast too. But for next year, it's um, how they're going to manage this is going to be interesting. So at this stage, I would rather see Leclerc favoured, if possible, or if they're going to give him equal status and let it play out over the year as long as it's not detrimental to their championship challenge, because if it is, then, you know, you can kiss it goodbye again, and they're not going to win a championship anytime soon, a Ferrari, because they're too caught up in their old ways, and, yeah, it's not going to work for them, so, you know, at this stage, I see Red Bull winning a championship more sooner than Ferrari, so, 
getting the season back on track. So, you know, Mercedes won two in Russia, unfortunate, um, or not really unfortunate. I don't feel sorry for Ferrari whatsoever. They It's self-inflicted, all their pain, you could say. So there's no sorrow or sympathy for them at all. But the next two wins, um, you know, next three races, we had Japan, Mexico, and Texas. So Bottas gets two of the three wins there, winning in Japan and in Texas. Great wins for him as well. You know, his most successful season, as I said, on the top of the piece for, for him. But ultimately, all in vain because uh, the championship was pretty much over. Hamilton won in Mexico, but Vettel's finishing position or Bottas's finishing position, I should say, um, meant that the championship had to go on another race. And in the end, second is all that Hamilton needed to finish um, as world champion, so that was all that was all done and dusted um, by the time we got to the end of the United States Grand Prix, and you know Texas, the US, a place where Hamilton's got great affinity and everything, so he's very popular in that part of the world. So it was a it was an apt way for him to celebrate, I guess. So um, that was great for him. Um, but this was also where while we're still on. Ferrari and the topic of them is that they had a uh, a tech a, a technical directive was um, issued in response to something that they were doing. So you know they their fuel flow legality was questioned ahead of the U.S. Grand Prix. Red Bull kind of raised it with the stewards and with the race director Michael Massey that you know maybe Ferrari are being cheeky and burning an extra bit of fuel when it comes to their qualifying. Um, you know, in their qualifying engine, or, well, they don't have qualifying engines, sorry, but in qualifying, they're burning a little extra engine, um, they're burning a little extra oil, um, but the fuel flow sensor is not picking it up, because it's, you know, the way that it measures the fuel flow is at certain intervals, so between those intervals is when they're burning the extra fuel, and that's how they're getting that boost that they'd have and that's why they've been on that incredible run of pole positions and it was kind of ironic that straight after that technical directive was issued before the US Grand Prix that that weekend Ferrari had a bit of a shocker of a weekend so um, Sebastian Vettel retired from the race Uh, Leclerc finished fourth and was just he had no pace at all throughout the race and the same with Vettel he didn't have any pace earlier on but he had I think a suspension failure that took him out and then Ferrari just spent the rest of the the weekend or after the weekend just saying that no that's not the case it was the bumps that caused our lack of pace or Leclerc was running an old spec engine blah 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 felt a bit um you know was there a bit of guilt there from him then their opportunity to rectify that in Brazil didn't come to fruition because they both took each other out but before that even happened both Vettel and Leclerc were not even anywhere near the podium either so they've just suddenly had a drop in form again late in the season Um, and you know he was able to Leclerc was able to finish on the podium in in Abu Dhabi but you know they just lost their form all of a sudden so who knows whether that was the reason why um, that happened in, in Abu Dhabi as well. You'll remember I was talking about how pre-race there was an investigation into Leclerc's um, being Leclerc being overfueled, perhaps you know trying to trick the fuel flow sensors again, being overfueled so they could burn extra fuel. You know, go a bit quicker when you're in the rich uh, mode mix. Oh, it's just 
there's always something that they're up to, you know, there's always some kind of controversy and whatever. It's just like, can you not, can we just go through a year where there's no problems and you guys just win something for once? No, it always has to be troublesome, you know, it's all self-inflicted, as I say. So that was that was Texas. Then Max won again in Brazil. It was a hectic race. You know they were clearly faster than Mercedes. Uh, Albon missed out on the podium. Um, great. I think it was my second favorite race of the year. Even though the first part of the race was a bit, bit um, you know for me formation it was a bit stale. But um, you know Max came out and won there. Then you know Gasly finishing on the podium ahead of Lewis Hamilton and you know, Hamilton getting the penalty at the end of the race um, for his hit on Albon, promoting Carlos Sainz up into that. So Carlos Sainz on the podium for McLaren, their first podium since 2014. I was so happy as all the McLaren fans would have been. But then the season was rounded out by a, um, a grand slam for Lewis Hamilton, pole, fastest lap, peerless victory, summing up his season, you could say. And Mercedes and the art of winning you got to say because it is an art is winning it doesn't just you don't just do it you know and do it for as long as they've been doing it without there being some kind of formula for it because you know you could have the fastest car and win everything but how long can you do that for before everyone starts to catch up and they did catch up so while Ferrari was quickest you could say in 2017 2018 they couldn't win because they were let down by their execution, they were let down by their drivers, or driver when you look at Sebastian Vettel, they were, you know, they had all sorts of issues that stopped them from winning, while Mercedes, where they were not fastest on the day, they got the right strategy, they got the right, um, you know, they made the right decisions, it came down to the drivers as well. Bottas and Hamilton have put in some barnstorming drives over the last couple of years, and this year in particular as well to win. So that's where the credit lies. That's how they become six-time world champions as a result of um, all these things falling into place because, you know, the competition evolves each year. So it's not going to be a repeat of 2014 where they just won everything because, you know, they were the quickest. No, no. They're winning now because they've got everything else down pat, and that's where both Red Bull and Ferrari need to get on top of it. I think Red for Red Bull, it's just a matter of you know getting their get their chassis and power unit combination right. You know to have the fastest package, then they'll be winning because everything else you know they seem to tick better than Ferrari do, and Verstappen as well over the last few years has really matured. This year, I think is has been his best season. You could say he finished third in the championship, three races he won, he had those pole positions, he's been on the podium, and he hasn't really made the silly mistakes that he has done in previous seasons, so for Red Bull, for Honda, Verstappen is the person to lead them forward, and I think next year as well will be a crucial year for Verstappen because of there being talk about whether he'll walk away from Red Bull at the end of 2020, you know, with 2021 there being, you know, all the drivers being off contract or at least the main drivers. Does uh, Verstappen get lured elsewhere? Probably not Ferrari, given the recent criticism he's been given them. But um, Mercedes certainly could look at um, bringing Verstappen into the fold if uh, Hamilton decides to leave or Bottas if there's a vacancy there. So, you know, it's going to be a big year for Max and for Red Bull too because you know all these years they've blamed the engine partner for for not delivering for them 
which has been rubbish because Red Bull at times have been rubbish themselves. So next year, you'd think that they would be able to, they'd be the closest since 2014 to be able to challenge for the championship. So the ball's in their court. And this that's where I say there's a contrasting tale between the two teams of Red Bull and Ferrari because Red Bull this year have been on the up. They've changed engine partner, but they've gone up. Whereas Ferrari, they've had the status quo, obviously, but it's just not going right for them. And I reckon that for them to be able to mount a championship challenge in the future, they've got to put their eggs into the Leclerc basket because um, Vettel, I don't think, will be able to do that just given the mistakes he's made. But I could be wrong. You know, next year he might end up coming out and writing all the wrongs that's uh, gone on over the last few years and we get to see Vettel at his best but so far it just doesn't look that great so you know rounding out I guess the championship stuff you know Bottas career best P2 Max finishing third edging out Leclerc and then Sebastian a distant fifth you could say so not the greatest year for him only the one win Canada you know it is what it is now whatever happened in Canada we're not going to cry over it ultimately you know he put himself in that position again so you know what does next year hold that's you know for next year when it comes we'll see but for me um firmly I'm looking forward to Leclerc versus Verstappen because I reckon that'll be the way to go for the future all right so (laughs) moving it on and best of the rest now so you know it's always um been its own championship you could say the midfield and you know expectations on Renault this year to finish fourth in the constructors championship again and do it by a long shot as well like you know do it with some distance between themselves and whoever was going to finish fifth but that was not the case because we had McLaren who were resurgent um, throughout the season they um, came out and you know all new driver lineup they had new Management in place, Andreas Seidel came into the team. The car was designed by Pat Fry, who was only an interim designer before James Key started full time from Toro Rosso. And it's just all gone. It's all gone really well for them this year. You know, even though this year started off a little bit um, lean for Carlos Sainz, uh, three pointless races at the start of the year, um, while his teammate Lando Norris, the rookie, was doing quite well. Um, Sainz went on an incredible run and he finished sixth in the championship, you know, even though he was hardly seen thanks to the camera work of the um, the Formula One uh, film crew or whatever on track. You know, some of those last lap battles or late race battles weren't seen, unfortunately, which was a bit of a disappointment. But um, when you look at Sainz's results, he's just been ultra consistent and he's the first driver outside of the top three teams who's finished sixth in the Drivers' Championship Um since the hybrid era so that's an incredible job from him and of course that podium in Brazil even though he didn't get to celebrate it um, post-race as you would normally do um, you know for McLaren to get that result it really caps off a year that they've had and I've always had the faith and you know said at the start of the year Brazil will be that race where one of these teams will get a podium and instead we've had not only McLaren but Toro Rosso on two occasions this year get podiums Renault missed out that's their fault (laughs) so Toro Rosso picking it up in um in Germany as well as Brazil with Pierre Gasly and their best season you could say um points wise as well so even though that they won a race back in 2008 
this was the best season yet for Toro Rosso, points-wise. So good on them for doing that. Um, and, of course, you know, the podium in Brazil for Science boosted his chance to beat Gasly and Albon, both drivers, of course, you know, racing for Red Bull at some point in their season in a better car than the McLaren, but um, Albon, oh, sorry, Science ultimately had the points to be able to do it. Nico Hulkenberg, wow. <laughs> bit sad, of course, that... Um, bit sad, of course, that uh, he is out of the the race or out of F1 for next year, um, you know, obviously making room first about Ocon, um, there was no space left for him on the grid, he started off the year good, you know, scored points in Australia, then of course, uh, you know, no points until the Canadian Grand Prix, you know, so lean run, and Renault just in general have been, had quite a few barren runs, you know, Ricardo's been able to drag the car into the points a couple of times, but even him, you could say he was humbled by the midfield, you know, not as, um, not what he's used to, of course, moving to, to Renault this year, and as a result, you could say it was a bit of an underwhelming year, you could have thought that they would collectively do a lot better, I don't think Ricardo could have done any better on his own, but, you know, collectively the team was just a bit disappointing, and next year is going to be a crucial year for them, and, you know, Germany, the missed opportunity for Hulkenberg to, to be on the podium, you could say, you know, could that have changed his fortunes of securing a drive for next year, who knows, uh, Lance Stroll was also another driver who was in contention for the podium that day, but um, missed out, he was, uh, you know, tyres just gave up at the end of the race and Sebastian Vettel was able to take over that result, where that was Stroll's best result in fourth for the year, so he had a bit of a a lean year in his first campaign for, for Racing Point. Checo is always consistent. Um, you know, just such a great run from him at the end of the year from Singapore to Abu Dhabi, finishing in the race. That's six races in a row he was in the points. And, um, you know, for Racing Point, I guess it was just legacy issues from last year, from the ownership transition. They weren't able to develop this year's car um, the way that they would have wanted to. But it's good that they've, they're in a position now where the team is stable financially they're secure so next year we can expect some good things from those guys so yeah it was good to see them sort of gradually build up there this year um stroll you know he'll find a stride he'll stroll you know he'll take the car for a stroll i'm sure i, I don't know why i had to do that <laughs> it just felt like adding a stupid pun in there for no obvious reason, but yeah, no, um, Stroll definitely next year, we should see him, and he's, you know, finished on the podium for Williams, for God's sake, so we should see um, Stroll do well, and yeah, for Hulkenberg, he finished 14th in the championship this year, so, you know, he was tied on points with Kvyat, he finished ahead of Stroll, so a really bad finish for, for Hulk this year, it's not been a great year at all. I had to point this out though because this was everyone's one of everyone's favorite moments in the Brazil Brazil Grand Prix and that was Gasly in a Toro Rosso out dragging Lewis Hamilton to the checkered flag you know Gasly in a Honda powered Toro Rosso out dragging Lewis Hamilton in the factory Mercedes to the checkered flag and also to claim his maiden podium that's just incredible got to watch that one again I think um, as well great race so that that's Toro Rosso, that's Racing Point, uh, Kimi Raikkonen of course his first year back with Sauber with Alfa Romeo now that they're known, they had a strong reunion I guess you could say uh, despite a mid-year lull, there was a while that they didn't score points and um, 
had a couple of retirements too, but then, you know, strong Brazilian Grand Prix, they finished fourth, um, and some good point scoring results for Kimi along the year. Antonio Giovinazzi, he took a bit of a while to, to get his into his stride and into his rhythm, but, you know, ultimately, you could say he'd done enough to justify a, a spot on the grid next year. I reckon we'll see more from him next year, of course, when the car gets a bit more consistent, but, um, you know, it's just... Yeah, it was a good year for those guys, you could say, but, um, you know, perhaps a bit underwhelming, like they finished under the mark, I thought they would have been a bit more in the middle of the midfield battle, but, you know, they finished 8th in the Constructors, Kimi was the one who did most of the work, but we'll see, I think I think we'll see more from Giovinazzi um, later in the, or sorry, um, next year, they both got disqualified, of course, in Germany too, they had a, a a torque discrepancy, so both cars, they would have finished in the points in Germany, but unfortunately, as a result, uh, they had those that result stripped, and that was the reason why Williams were able to finish in the points this year, so Robert Kubitzer, his underwhelming return to Formula 1, unfortunately, scored a single point, but as a result of the Alfa Romeo penalty, and finished 10th in that race, so, you know, that was a bit disappointing for Williams this year, and all sorts of problems like that. Paddy Lowe quit on them at the start of the year um, and then trying to really, what do you call it, pull together a team and I reckon next year they'll be able to be back hopefully where, you know, sort of somewhere in that midfield battle being able to score points and whatnot. But for George Russell, it was a bit disappointing because he, rookie driver, he really, he did well in the situation he was, he, you know, had the, the better of Robert Kubica, he had better of him in the races, better of him in qualifying, but just didn't have any points to show for it at the end of the year, but um, we'll see better stuff from Russell, I'm sure, next year, well, we'll see some points on the board, hopefully, for Russell next year, and Haas as well, yeah, you know, disappointing year for them, tyre issues, you know, fundamental problem with the car, Roman Grosjean again, just being inconsistent and uh, contributing to some of their misfortunes, you know, on track, um, didn't really, you know, what, two consecutive retirements to start off the year, then had another retirement in Baku, then France, his home race retired, then in Silverstone retired, so He's had quite a few retirements, has Grosjean, I think, the most of any driver this year. Had a total of uh, six. Seven, actually. Seven retirements this year. Wow, I think that is the most of any other driver. So, um, what's going to happen with Haas next year? They've just got to sort their, you know, get their act together. Magnussen has been great on occasion, but again, you know, fighting a lost cause, you know, they'll... They'll do really well in qualifying, but then um, in the race, they just can't sustain that level of pace, especially, you know, just with those volatile Pirelli tyres. They just, um, with a Haas car, they just fade away so quickly. And I guess the only highlight for Haas this year, you could say, was the off-track stuff with um, their title sponsor, Rich Energy, and all the drama that came with that. I still can't believe I was able to get a couple of cans of that stuff at the Australian Grand Prix. And... Um, actually saw the uh the owner William Story you know it was it was like it was like a legend come true you know it was it was so exciting but then you know all the 
stuff that they had gone on this year on Twitter and everything. It was <laughs> it was good fun. I think the only exciting thing about Haas this year and when when Drive to Survive comes out next year, the um the second series of the Netflix show, I'm sure there's going to be quite a few um, good bits on Haas um, next year for that. So I really look forward to that when that comes out. And that I think March next year. Yeah, it came out early. March this year for the first season so yeah looking forward to the second series coming out in March next year so that's the midfield sorted and then when determining rookie of the year I guess it was hard to separate all three on ability they've been all great you know George Russell um, he beat Kubica Norris was great throughout the year he really gave a lot of entertainment you know spectacular wheel-to-wheel battles He's had with Hamilton, obviously, in Austria, and then with Kimi in Bahrain, which was great too. But, you know, he had a bit of a bit of bad luck too throughout the year. And then, of course, Albon showing quick maturity in the Red Bull from Belgium onwards, you know, and having a few power unit penalties as well, which meant that um, he started from on the back foot in a couple of those races. But, yeah, all three on ability have been fantastic, and it's hard to separate. I'm just going to go out and say, look, you know, personally, I love Norris this year, not only with what he did on track, but off track too. He was just so entertaining. You know, now he's getting on the Baby Yoda hype train as well. <laughs> so, you know, that that's, you know, I'm sure he'll be a driver to watch if you didn't really pay much attention to him this year. If you didn't, then I don't know what rock you've been living under, but next year I would like to see, you know, some more from Lando, you know, on track, and, you know, the question's always been asked about, you know, how he and his teammate at the moment are so chummy, he and um, Carlos Sainz, how will the dynamic be next year when um, things change, you know, if they're in a more competitive position, I don't think that they're going to be challenging for race wins next year, but um, what if, uh, (laughs) you know, they're in a position to be battling for podiums and stuff, you know, if the, the... what do you call it, the the friendship or whatever, the, the bromance that's there at the moment. Next year, is it going to be any different or um, will it continue? We'll have to wait and see. But yeah, for me, Lando Norris was the rookie of the year and just so exciting to, to, to watch all year. And I've got to, got to wonder as well what he's thinking about seeing Lewis, Ham- Lewis Hamilton do the car swap with Valentino Rossi or the bike swap, car swap, whatever it was. Um, obviously we found out that Lando is a bit of a, a Valentino fanboy <laughs> this year, so it must have been a bit heartbreaking for him to see uh, someone else with his with his man crush there in Valentino. So that's um that's that. But yeah, no, Lando's been great. And that's the thing, like when you look at the whole whole year, Hamilton did dominate and he won the championship, but then there's been so many good things outside of that, you know, seeing Bottas return to form was great, seeing Verstappen and Leclerc emerge as well, Honda's come back, you know, uh, to form as well, Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz, they've been, I guess, the team to watch all year, those two, just their dynamic on and off the track has been awesome, you know, it's this has been so much this year that has been great, but unfortunately, just the culminating in a championship where, you know, the whole year, and the whole championship, it just hasn't really worked out, unfortunately. So um, we hopefully, you know, looking forward, we do get a great year next year where, you know, we have the championship go down to the wire and that sort of jazz. So let's go over to the on, uh, 
the off-track stuff now. See, this is what happens when you take a few weeks off uh, podcasting. You just totally get rusty. I can't, I'm not waiting to, or what do you call it? I'm not looking forward to doing the first episode next year because obviously I'm going to take a bit of a break after this. Um, and when I do the supercars one as well, have a bit of a rest over the summer and then come back and do it for the pre-season, um, get ready for pre-season 2020. So off track, you know, we had the 2021 regs confirmed. Ground effect, 175 million US dollar cost cap for performance only, standardized parts, limited upgrades, you know, reducing the weekend as well. So having the Thursday activities shifted over to Friday to minimize costs and also having a minimum of two free practice sessions for development drivers. And that's all the teams. So Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull typically have not thrown in development drivers into practice sessions throughout the years but um, now they've got to as a result of these rules it's great because we've finally got them there and we know what to expect for 2021 but now you know eyes are on 2021 you know we've still got a whole year to go before then and we hope 2020 is an exciting year but um 2021 you know that's I think the year where there could be a serious shake-up in the championship and of course with the driver market as well it's going to be all over the place because all the drivers or all the key drivers we think are off contract next year or at the end of next year Leclerc probably the only one who's got something locked in for 2021 with Ferrari so everywhere else it's you know you've got two seats up at Mercedes Red Bull, an open book, and of course, one seat available at Ferrari too, which we all reckon Seb might retire at the end of the year, who knows, or maybe he'll go to Mercedes, whatever's going to happen, who knows, <laughs> it's just, at this stage, it's exciting to think about, but also kind of need a break as well from, from everything, so you know, a couple of more things. We had uh, the announcement that Formula One is looking to go carbon neutral by 2030. Ambitious but achievable delivery plan is on the cards. Um, and then, of course, the calendar too. We had a five-year deal inked for Silverstone. This was obviously the last year of the current contract. And um, they've secured their future, which is good. But we've got 22 races next year, which I don't know how anyone's going to be able to do. There's already a lot of talk about, you know, teams needing you know backup crews and all that sort of stuff so we got uh the dutch grand prix returning to to zandvoort vietnamese grand prix in uh grand yeah american all of a sudden vietnamese grand prix in hanoi street race which will be exciting to have it at the start of the year too um i think it's the third race of the season um, after Bahrain and then of course the Spanish Grand Prix being um, on the calendar for another year so not that you know Spain's provided any exciting racing over the last few years but you know it's important I guess because you know Carlos Sainz is on the grid he's doing really well um, so the popularity there will be um, will support them and um, we'll get to see Barcelona on the grid for a, another year at least. So, final thoughts then on the year and also on the decade too because we forget that it's the end of a decade of Formula 1 and it was pretty much a decade of dominance between Mercedes and Red Bull. You know, Red Bull for four years, they had a stranglehold on the sport. We had some good years, 2010, 2012, where the championship went down to the wire. Then Mercedes from 2014 onwards, they've won six straight. 
you know, we've had some great races this year, but the cars, obviously, it's still hard to follow. That was the conclusion they made, even though we had the simplification of the front wings this year. And is 2021 the solution to all this? You know, apparently following cars will be a lot easier in 2021. The percentage goes up, you know, and also because of the ground effect, you know, there's not going to be much on those front wings in terms of downforce. You know, they're reducing downforce and just relying on ground effect. So the cars will be a bit slower, but um, we're going to get better racing. So hopefully that is the case for 2021, but we've still got 2020 to go. And hopefully we get an exciting championship next year. I've got, you know, I'm not going to say I've got money riding on it, but I do have hope that Red Bull are the ones who can challenge, if not Ferrari, because Ferrari just seem to bugger things up all the time. But, um, you know, Red Bull will be the team to challenge Mercedes, I reckon, because, you know, Mercedes at the, at the moment are still the team to beat. They're the all-round best team on the grid. And as I said before, it's down to execution, not just having the fastest car. So the team, the drivers, strategy, whatever it is, pit stops. That's what the competition needs to step up on if they are going to win in the near future. So that's pretty much it, really. Um, I don't know what else to say much more um, about 2019 Formula One, only that it's been it's been a pleasure to have you guys listening, of course. You know, it's been, a, been an interesting transition this year, doing it all myself and... Uh, you know, next year I've already spoken to a few people and um, there's been some interest about some guest appearances. It was great having Dino from the Regen E Racing podcast on here um, not too long ago talking about Formula One and all that. So, sorry, Formula E. And I've got to give a quick shout out to Dino as well. So he felt rather bad um, after we had our little chat on here about not being able to answer my question about what Formula E is doing to um, what Formula E is doing as far as you know contributing to sustainability like not just the on-track stuff but off-track you know what are they doing because Formula One obviously is going to net zero carbon by 2030 you know is Formula E also doing that as far as sustainability on track and off track and all that obviously because it's an electric car series you'd think that they would but you know what are some of their techniques and methods and he put together this really really thoughtful piece um, which I'll put a link in the description and everything for you guys to read and I was kind of humbled by that and good on good on, good on him for doing the research for that I wasn't too upset that he couldn't give me an answer straight away but, you know, he wrote this really thoughtful piece, which I was really impressed by. And, um, yeah, it's it's important that we be a bit more conscious about this sort of thing now, especially in the current, um, the current state of the world. You know, when you look at what's happening here in Australia, you know, it's as a result of this stuff, you know, as a result of climate change and all. So we can't deny that any longer. So it's important for you know, industry leaders, especially motorsport, when you look at motorsport and how it has an impact on the automotive industry and the automotive industry is such a huge industry in the world that um, they play their part and they um, make sure that they leave a lasting legacy as far as, you know, setting setting an example for everyone else. So that was really good. Um, and yeah, I hope to, to have a bit more Adino as well. We'll talk a bit more Formula E at times next year too. Hopefully I'll end up on, on their podcast again. But um, yeah, it's been a great year as far as uh, 
branching out on my own is concerned and also exploring some new things and um, getting in touch with some new people too. So we'll hopefully have more for you for 2020. But in the meantime, I do have another edition to record, um, the Supercars one. It shouldn't come out too far after um, this one, obviously, on Christmas Day, so stay tuned for that. But otherwise, thank you for your support, guys, this year. It really has meant a lot, and make sure just follow us on Twitter at Hit the Apex Media. I think I'm just going to keep to Twitter for now. If there's any change in that, I'll let you know. But, um, yeah, you know, Thanks for tuning in this year, and um, we'll be back with more Formula One content in 2020. Ciao.